Hello, and welcome to On the Money with Dynamic Funds. I'm Mark Bridley, Managing Director of Dynamic, and joining me for today's conversation is our Chief Investment Strategist, Miles Ziblock. Our aim with today's call is to provide access and insights into the investment management process and capabilities here at Dynamic Funds. Miles joined Dynamic back in 2013 as our Chief Investment Strategist, working closely with the Dynamic Funds Portfolio Management Team. His experience spans across multiple asset classes and geographic regions. He's a recognized strategist in North America, regarded for his investment insights that blend the tools of finance and psychology in order to capture major inflection points in financial markets. He has been guiding and advising on asset allocation for a diverse set of institutional and retail advisors across North America, Europe, and Asia for over 20 years. Miles, it's great to have you with us today, and thanks for joining. Hey, it's great to be here, Mark, and, uh, you know, thanks for having me on the On the Money series. It's, it's, uh, I, I enjoy my time uh, on the series. Terrific. So I'm going to jump right in with, obviously, you know, where we are in, in the world today and the unprecedented nature of, of, of the experience we're all going through and ask you if you could provide us with where markets and the global economy are today and your views on how policymakers have responded. Uh, yeah, so, you know, the, the, the spread of the coronavirus that, that began in late 2019, it, it led to a subsequent and I'd say a very dramatic shutdown by uh, March of this year uh, of all but the most essential activities. You know, go- governments, they sent kids home from school, businesses were closed, and, and mobility was, was restricted. This generated uh, massive, massive headwinds uh, for uh, corporate and consumer income, which then led to what was really the most volatile start to the year for financial markets in in, in our lifetimes, really comparable only to uh, the turbulence seen during the 1930s Great Depression. Um, you know, from mid-February through to March's end, uh, there were really very few places to, for an investor to, to seek shelter. I mean, stocks, corporate bonds, and commodities, they were all tumbling in value. The stock market itself uh, was down over that short period by about 35%. Government bonds and, and gold bullion, they, they held up okay, but that was about it. And then, you know, the reversal uh, started, uh, which started on March, uh, it was March 23rd, was nearly as dramatic as the previous decline. You know, investors were encouraged by the flood of stimulus, which was injected into the system by global policymakers, uh, trillions uh, upon trillions, really, of dollars of, of supplementary income, tax relief, uh, and lending backstops. They were they were hurried into place, and this was joined by an equally aggressive interest rate uh, reduction program, asset purchase programs, and the installation of liquidity facilities by, by so many central banks. And, you know, with so much policy stimulus entering the system, investors began uh, to price out a worst-case economic scenario. Asset prices, you know, of all shapes uh, and colors started to rally. And it wasn't, you know, too long thereafter um, that caseload growth in some of the harder-hit countries began to moderate, you know, Italy, Spain, Germany. They joined a growing list of nations 
which appeared to be flattening the curve. This, this encouraged governments to reduce social distancing restrictions, thereby fostering an increase in mobility. And, you know, by mid-April, uh, the data provided by several high-frequency providers like Apple and Google and OpenTable, uh, they, they suggested that the worst for the global economy was now uh, starting to appear in the rearview mirror, and these positive data points encouraged investors uh, to place even more money to work in growth-sensitive areas of the financial markets. You know, admittedly, the, the economies are still in, in very rough shape, um, but they are beginning to look uh, a little better. So, Miles, with that data and, and, and your view of how things have unfolded, um, what are the biggest risks and opportunities as we look uh, here within the Canadian economy? Well, you know, um, Canada... It hasn't been, the country hasn't been immune to the transmission of the virus like we've seen everywhere else. You know, the labor market, corporate profits, and, and the financial markets themselves have been under immense pressure as a result of the shutdown in both the domestic and international uh, economies. Can, uh, the Canadian policymakers, uh, they've approached the situation, I'd say, in much uh, the same way that we're seeing everywhere else. Uh, the central bank's been active in reducing interest rates and helping to ensure that financial markets continue to function uh, reasonably well under stress. The, the government has offered billions of dollars in stimulus in order to bridge the gap. And, and you know, they focused a lot of their attention, uh, Governor Canada, on, on, you know, tools to help job retention, uh, like emergency wage subsidies. And, and, you know, all of this is important and necessary, but what it really boils down to uh, for Canada uh, is, is getting this virus under control and allowing, you know, both the domestic and international economies to reopen. And, and that is starting, but it's still very early days. So what are some of the signs that an investor should be looking out for right now as signs of improving markets and economies? Well, um, you know, I think it's a mistake uh, at this stage to conclude uh, that the all-clear signal has been sounded, uh, even though, you know, markets are doing well. Um, I think there's a window of time that's now opening up where investors uh, will look to the daily viral caseload growth with, with some, some apprehension. Um, you know, can we open our economies without igniting a renewed wave of contagion? You know, placing large swaths of the global economy back into lockdown, I think, would lead, lead to a lot of concerns about uh, an even larger cycle of lost income, loan delinquencies, and uh, consumer and business insolvencies. I think it would place the economy, which is, you know, barely crawling out uh, from the deepest, deepest depths of, of a monster-sized recession on an even darker path. Um, but, you know, of course, there's, there's, there's so many research scientists and healthcare professionals around the world working on this problem, so there's a real possibility of a sooner-than-anticipated medical breakthrough. Big breakthrough. So, you know, I, I still think much is, much is up in the air. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, while all this is going on, people are still trying to save and invest and, and plan for the future. Uh, raising all kinds of questions around building portfolios and, and, you know, continuing to stay invested. What are some things for our listeners to remember when considering portfolio positioning in these kind of times? You know, you mentioned uh, uh, or alluded to uncertainty, and, and uncertainty is admittedly very, very high today. Um, but 
It's always been that way. Uh, you know, what were, what, what do we think the investment conversations were like, you know, through the, throughout the 1918 pandemic or World War One or the 1930s, you know, or the, or the oil crisis in the 70s or, or the Cold War or even 9-11? I, I, I don't think they were all that much different than today. Sure, they're about different topics. Uh, but the world was, was most likely shrouded in, in as many unanswerable questions as there are today. And, and I think it's, it's, it's actually impossible to predict with certainty what today's challenges or opportunities mean for stocks, bonds, and other assets. And, and it's precisely because of this appreciation about an uncertain future, uh, which makes portfolio diversification so important, uh, uncorrelated sources of performance, you know, risk mitigation and volatility dampening, these are the tools necessary to navigate an uncertain future path. That's been the way it was uh, through time, and it's the way it's likely to be uh, in, in, you know, going forward. You know, hearing those comments, it's, it's, it's obvious that no matter uh, what happens in the world, uh, opportunities continue to emerge, risks continue to be present. Um, you know, in, investors trying to stay the course or, or wondering which direction to take, uh, there's all kinds of variables to, to think about, and this just adds another one. But what are some of the things that investors may not have considered, you know, up till now, but but should be? You know, I, I've been uh, in in the investment business for for well over 20 years, and 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 through that, I've noticed that you know the biggest mistakes investors make is is forgetting about or even abandoning their long-term investment plans to, to, to effectively scrap them just, just as markets get volatile. Um, you know, for example, investors might sell uh, the majority of their stocks uh, and move that money into cash. Um, but people, you know, don't consider the risks that this subsequent change introduces. You know, now you've opened yourself up to the risk that inflation erodes your purchasing power or, you know, at near 0% interest rates, you run the risk of, of not having enough capital to fund those goals uh, you have that might be 10 to 15 years down the road. And, um, you know, do you even have a, a plan that will get you back into the market? Is it reliable? Um, you know, we made our investment plans during calmer times. Uh, knowing full well that financial markets have been, you know, very volatile in the past and are likely to be very volatile at some point in the future. Uh, so those are when we made our plans. So it's, it's very, it's critical that we stick to our long-term plans. And, you know, I think that, that people um, might not fully appreciate um, the role that alternative assets can play in, in those diversification plans. Um, you know, these assets lie outside of the domain of traditional stocks and bonds. They can include, you know, things like real estate, infrastructure, precious metals, or they can be, you know, take the form of a strategy, like an absolute return strategy that can uh, go long and short uh, various assets. Uh, you know, part of the reason I think that these have been ignored uh, is because, you know, uh, we, we in the retail community at least didn't, didn't have very easy access to them, but now we do. Um, with the regulatory changes that took place in Canada, uh, I, I guess it was about a year and a half ago, um, you know, they go by the name of, of liquid alternative investments. And, and, you know, now, like I said, we can gain much easier access to these liquid alternatives. Pension funds, 
uh, endowment funds and, and other large sorts of institutional investors have been involved in these alternative assets for decades now. Uh, the pension industry, you know, which includes well-known names like Ontario Teachers, uh, the Canada Pension Plan, they treat alternative investments as, as a third critical asset class in addition to uh, stocks and bonds. And, you know, today most pensions, and, and remember that pensions are, are long-term, conserva- long-term conservative money, uh, most of these pensions have 30% of their assets allocated to alternative investments. You know, alternatives, I think they offer an important source of diversification to portfolios in addition to traditional stocks and bonds. Uh, they're, they're, they're necessary diversifying asset and, and probably should represent an important part of most investment portfolios. Miles, that's, that's really insightful and, uh, I love the concept of, of, of the third asset class being added to the discussion and yeah. would encourage any of our listeners that, that are looking for information around that type of a portfolio construction add-in to, to reach out to their financial advisor. Well, I want to thank you for joining us today, Miles. As always, it's a pleasure to, to discuss these topics with you. It's been, you know, it's been great to be here on the money uh, with you, Mark. Thanks. And thanks to everyone for listening to us today on another edition of On the Money with Dynamic Funds. If there are any questions that you have or would like to ask, please reach out to your financial advisor, or you can visit us at dynamic.ca. Until next next time, on behalf of everyone here at Dynamic Funds, we wish you continued good health and safety. Thank you for joining us. This audio has been prepared by 1832 Asset Management LP and is provided for information purposes only. Views expressed regarding a particular investment, economy, industry, or market sector should not be considered an indication of trading intent of any of the mutual funds managed by 1832 Asset Management LP. These views are not to be relied upon as investment advice, nor should they be considered a recommendation to buy or sell. These views are subject to change at any time based on markets and other conditions, and we disclaim any responsibility to update such views. To the extent this audio contains information or data obtained from third-party sources, it is believed to be accurate and reliable as of the date of publication, but 1832 Asset Management LP does not guarantee its accuracy or reliability. Nothing in this document is or should be relied upon as a promise or representation as to the future. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of return are the historical annual compound total returns, including changes in unit values and reinvestment of all distributions. does not take into account sales, redemption, or option changes, or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. Mutual funds are not guaranteed, their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated.